and welcome everyone to our latest podcast here at Brown Table Talk, initiated by yellow.org. I'm Anasha, your host, and let me begin by introducing our guest for the day, Ms. Adli Mohammed. Ms. Mohammed is the Deputy CEO and Head of Counseling Services at Shanti Margam. She is also a trainer, facilitator, and advocate for mental health. So thank you so much, Adli. It is my pleasure to welcome you here today to our podcast um, to talk about a very important issue. And I'm sure everyone must know from your credentials now that we are here to talk about mental health in the queer community and also talk about um, a very unheard of uh, aspect of mental health, and that is uh, psychosocial support groups uh, that is a part of mental health. Um, so without further ado, let's begin. Um, Adley, so let's talk about mental health. Um, the first question that uh, came to my mind when this topic was being discussed is that the queer community has a lot of issues when we talk about mental health. First of all, there are many individuals in our country specifically who believe themselves to be mentally ill or abnormal mm. because they identify themselves as queer. And also there is a stigma outside the community from the general public who believe that the queer community is mentally ill. And so there's a lot of um, issues when it comes to mental health in this community. So can we talk about that in terms of how it affects the mental health of the queer individual? Okay. Uh, thank you for having me, Manesha. Um, yes, as you said, uh, the queer community in Sri Lanka is a marginalized community. And with the marginalized community comes the stigma and the ostracization that they face. So depending on your upbringing, as, as I'm sure you also aware, uh, there's a general belief, you know, the homophobic belief when it comes to the queer community. So when you grow up listening to the fact that uh, identifying from the community is wrong, it's abnormal, um, you know, that it should not be done. And then you find yourself identifying as, you know, whoever it is, whether you as gay or as transgender or as whoever it is. So then you start questioning yourself. I've grown up hearing this throughout my life. People telling me that this is wrong, this is wrong. And now I feel this way. So which means there is something wrong with me. Right. So that and if you don't have a safe space to talk about that and address that, you're going to internalize that. And with that comes the mental health issues. You can either go into depression, uh, you can have suicidal ideation, you can have anxiety, whatever it may be, it can affect you because of that. So that plays a huge uh, part into why the queer community, um, they, you know, because and also, as you said, it also has been referred to as identifying from the community is a mental illness. So just... Imagine, put yourself there and think that if you are that individual who feels that way, how would you feel? It's going to affect you, right? So definitely um, the upbringing, the environment and uh, how it's been talked about in your day-to-day -day life plays a huge role in whether it's going to make it easy for you to identify and be, you know, okay with it or if you're going to hide it because that's what you've been told. I hope that answers your question, Manasha. Yes, definitely. Um, in terms of hiding it, um... One of the problems that we as Sri Lankans have faced is that even the Psychiatric Association um, removed hope 
um, homosexuality mm. and identifying as queer from the list of mental illnesses in 2018. Now that's mm. not very long ago. And yes. um, we've had so many activists, uh, Roseanne yes. Caldera, for example, who have been be- who have talked about queer identity and how it's not a mental illness for so mm. long. So why did it take for our medical community uh, so long to remove uh, homosexuality and queer identity from the mental illness uh, registry or list uh, and as late as 2018? Okay, so there's always, um, if you were to be addressed, if you address it even with a doctor back then, uh, saying that, you know, somebody does identify, um, it is looked as an illness and that it's just something from the West. I think you would have heard it. Yes, right. Yes, it's something that happens in the West. It doesn't happen here. So we are in a country that grows up with so much of culture and, you know, our society is such. So they, it's looked at in that way. But like you said, like Roseanne and many others, the reason I believe that that change has occurred is because of the awareness and the advocacy and the fighting that people have done in order to not be quiet. Because I'm sure, you know, people from the community have, has, have existed for as long as we can remember, right? Definitely, but yes. this, yeah, the stigma and the you know, discrimination has been there. And back in the day, I wouldn't say now, there, has been, there hasn't been a lot of you know, activism towards it because you, you made to feel like, okay, the shame, the guilt, this is not right. So which means, how can we speak about it out, right? But now that has changed. So this kind of advocacy and fighting for it has brought about this change. I know 2008 is not, 18 is not long ago. But what we need to understand is there has been change that is brought about. And, and um, a lot of appreciation and applaud goes to all these organizations uh, that have been fighting for it, that have made people understand that we're not going to be quiet anymore. This is our right. This is who we, uh, we the right to be who we want to be, you know, to be attracted whom we want to be attracted to. So that kind of social activism um, I believe is what has brought about this change. Um, and also I'm sure people, even if, even if they were medically aware, it wasn't. It, I mean, if nobody's going to talk about it, why should we bother, right? So right. now, because it's spoken about, because people are saying, no, we're not going to be quiet anymore. This needs to happen. So change comes with the change that you bring about. So I think that's what has led to the change, but change nonetheless. Definitely. Um... Talking about that change and how important advocacy groups are, um, there was a recent viral clip of a police training um, camp in Sri Lanka where uh, a so-called psychologist was training them and telling them homophobic uh, sentiments mm. and how they should be, how anyone in the queer community should be imprisoned and so on and so forth. And we saw a large yeah. backlash. In fact, yeah. Um, yeah. for the first time, the president came out uh, and talked mm. about not in terms of came out, but came out and talked <laughs> <Yeah>. about um, <laughs> the queer identity and how everyone deserves the right to be mm. recognized uh, despite their um, mm. sexuality. And so did the justice minister. Mm. And even the um, Sri Lanka Psychiatric Association came out and yeah. said that we do not, um, we condemn her mm. actions there. And so, but the thing is, there are people like this who are yes. welcome in public offices to train yes law enforcement officers in this way. So can you suggest some guidelines, I guess, um, as to mm. how, because it's not just about sexuality, it's about respecting mm. each and every one of us. So can you um, suggest some guidelines as to mm. um, 
how this narrative should be changed uh, yeah. from the people, not just through advocacy groups. Um, yeah. So first off, I think she was a counselor. And okay, first watching that video was very, very uncomfortable and, and very heartbreaking uh, because what I was thinking is imagine in that group of people who are listening there, they had people that they care about, you know, or knew who identified from the community. Maybe there was even one individual there who identified for, towards the community. I cannot imagine that person's, what he or she would have gone through listening to that, having to mimic that whole group saying, no, we don't want that. And, you know, just having to go ahead with that, right? There's already, as we discussed before, there's self-stigma, how much that would have increased, yeah. right? And um, just like, you know, any other field of work as counselors, we also have a set of ethics that we have to go by, right? So some of the basic things are being understanding, being empathetic, being non-judgmental, not to discriminate. And I saw all that happen towards the community. Yes. And that was just horrible to watch. So um, in terms of guidelines, so I work for an organization that's inclusive. So I work, as you know, for Shanti Margam and we are an inclusive organization. So let me share with you steps that we take in order to ensure that the people we take on uh, believe in the same vision, mission, and core beliefs that we have when it comes to being inclusive. So whether we take on an intern, whether we take on a volunteer or a staff member, there is a due process in the interviewing that we have to ask them questions, give them case studies to see how they relate to those things, how they answer to that. So that's a responsibility as an organization, the steps we can take in order to make sure to an great extent that the people that we take on board are also, you know, like I said, have the same belief system. So some, something I think as simple as when you get someone to talk to your team, um, I think knowing what content that person is going to cover is your right. If I'm going to get someone to talk to my team, let's say about self-esteem, I need to know what content that person is going to share so that he or she doesn't um, say things that are going to be discriminated or be offensive, right? So I think having guidelines uh, to make sure to vet the people that you're getting on board. If I'm going to get somebody who's going to talk about, let's say, uh, LGBTIQ or HIV community, I need to know that that person is a person who believes in the same things that I do and not a person who yeah. is discriminating. So it's about making sure and taking that responsibility when you're getting somebody on board to talk to a group of people or your team that they are going to have the same interest, be in line with what you want. And these are not like major things to do. But then again, that comes with your own belief system also. If you're okay with what's being said, like that happened, you're going to let it go on. But if you are not, you're going to put a stop to it. So I think there are simple things we can do but it's up to the person um, to take that responsibility and make sure that nobody is discriminated. Definitely. It's all about respecting people and sharing values with them. Yeah. Um, and that's mostly what it is about. Um, so moving a little bit away from uh, that, uh, let's talk about an issue that has been plaguing the community for a long time and that still continues. Um, and that is these archaic beliefs like uh, corrective rape or conversion therapy. Um, mm -hmm. 
these are still happening in Sri Lanka. Um, there have been many activists who have mm. come out and talked about how wrong it is and how they have been victims of it. As, mm. I'm sorry, not victims. They're never victims. They're survivors um, mm. of these things. And these are employed by families. That is the most heartbreaking part. The people that gave life to these uh, individuals are mm. the ones who employ these um, activities. So how do you recommend? I know it's a lot uh, to say that we can just <laughs> eliminate these. You, yeah. because these have been entrenched mm. but do you have any recommendations as to how we can eliminate these attitudes and then consequently try to eliminate the practices as well mm. well yes as you said these are suggestions because i mean it would be wonderful if there was a quick answer to something like that as you Definitely. said before minash i think it's horrible because the, the perpetrators of this kind of violence are family members people you care people you trust so the damage apart, I mean, the emotional damage, there's a physical damage also, but the emotional damage that it does to a person is unimaginable. And um, I think this lack of awareness and also see if you are not made to aware how normal identifying from the community is. And as you said, if you have those entrenched beliefs that these are wrong and these need to be rectified, you are going to, you, you're going to go to a wrong source for help which is, you know, somebody comes and says, okay, this, I, I heard this will work. Collective rape will, uh, you know, help change, right? So I think making people aware that it's okay to be confused. It's okay to be scared as a person from the family. Like say, if I come out to my family, that they are going to be, you know, based on their upbringing, they're going to be confused. They're going to be scared. It's okay to feel that, but know that you can reach out for help. You can ask, you know, someone like, you know, like what we do, and there are so many other organizations, reach out because this is a person that who is coming to you with that trust and hoping for that support in return, right? If you don't know what to do, that's fine. Don't let your ego get in the way. If you care for this person, reach out for help, whether it's reaching out to somebody whom you've spoken to somewhere that has, you know, spoken about the community where, you know, okay, maybe that person might know somebody, maybe that person can refer you to somebody to get help. So I think creating awareness and making this topic a normal topic is what we can do. And what's important is we all as individuals can bring about that change based on how we address it in our own personal circles. If you can talk about it to others and if you can, if people are being discriminated, stand up for those people, you're just, it's like, you know, it's, it's a ripple effect. You're making, so there are little steps that you can do as an individual and also by creating awareness for parents or families or making it out there that you can talk to somebody about it to know the right way to approach it instead of, you know, going to the wrong source, as I said before. Right. And there are so many wrong sources, but what I think everyone should understand is there are so many organizations. Shanti Markham is one of them that, that can help in this queer support and can give you a support system. And I want to focus on, because we're talking about mental health and it's such an overarching um, topic, I want to talk about therapy. And well, when you said that you should always ask for help and it's not wrong to ask for help, the first thing that came to my mind was therapy. Um, so let's start with this. Let's start with the fact that 
therapy and asking for help is not part of our cult, so-called culture. <laughs> yes. Um, and Sri Lanka is still trying to come in, come into terms uh, with the, mm. you know, asking for help and going to therapy and talking about mental health as physical health. And so, yeah. again, I am asking for recommendations as to how you can bring the, not just individuals in the community, but their families and mm. other members who don't identify as queer to mm. the table to talk about therapy and asking for help. Um, so I must say that in comparison to how it was maybe a couple of years ago, uh, there has been some progress. I have to give credit where it's due. There are people who do come in. I mean, if not, I won't have clients, right? And people won't come into Shanti Margam. So, yes. I mean, we do have a lot of people because we have a hotline also that runs for 14 hours. Oh. So we do have people now, regardless of their socioeconomic background or where they come from, who do reach out for help. And that is because the awareness that has been created around them. Like, for, for example, uh, if talking about, you know, like just making it as simple as, look, it's important that you take care of your physical well-being. We are all aware of that. But in order for us to have a healthy, balanced life, we need to take care of our emotional well-being as well as our physical well-being. So sure, if you can sure. give due diligence and importance to taking care of your body, why not your mind? Why treat that differently? You need to understand these are not two different aspects. These are connected. You can be a person, you know, who's physically healthy and not be in a, you know, a good emotional state. So just like you would go and reach out, uh, you know, for medical help, if you have something's wrong with your body, what you're doing is attending to your mental health. And I think, again, uh, starting about talking about these things, you know, among parents, schools, and making it normal, you know, like if you have a problem, either reach out to a school counselor, if you feel that you can trust them, call a hotline, but know that it's okay to reach out and talk to somebody. I know that we have done a couple of uh, workshops, even for parents, where we are talking to them about it, letting them know that, look, this can happen. They can either talk to you, they can reach out. Um, but if you feel that you're not in a position to help the person that's reaching out to you, whether it's a friend or a family member, you can always reach out to an external professional or an organization that can help you in that. So again, not, not very difficult things to do. We look at it as, you know, something alien when we look at mental health, but there are just some simple things you can even, if you're having issues, you can even talk to a friend, but know that you can talk to someone. And it's okay to talk to someone about it. Right, so true. Um, it's all about, you know, trusting individuals. It's about having certain relationships in your life that you can trust. And there are organizations that can provide that for you as well. Um, sticking to the topic of therapy, um, now, it's no secret, as we discussed, that the queer individual has... Um, a lot of mental health issues uh, that they have to go through in their life because of this uh, social mm. stigma. Um, and there has been records of queer youth, especially those on below the age of 30 that are found to be susceptible to mental illness than heterosexual counterparts. So in terms of therapy, um, there are two types of therapy that we can go to, that is individual and group therapy. Um, so before we go on to comparing those two, could you give us a small, a brief 
understanding of how these two differ and what are the importance of those two, the individual therapy and group therapy? Okay, so individual therapy, I think it goes as it says that it's when you reach out for uh, therapy on one-on-one basis with a counselor or a psychologist. Right. You know? And group therapy is a space where uh, individuals who may have, uh, not I wouldn't say the similar issue, but who are undergoing the same difficulty. Let's say, for example, let's say depression. There's a group of young people who have been identified or diagnosed with depression. So creating that safe space for a group of people who can relate to talk about it. Of course, there'll be a mediator there. It's not that they just get together and talk about it. There will be a professional there to help them, a facilitator or a counselor who will be there to help them navigate that conversation between a group of people creating a safe environment. So those are the two differences between. And they are both important. So of course, one-on-one therapy is important because it helps you and also group therapy can help give you relief knowing that you're not alone most Mm -hmm. of us right we always think that when we are going through something that we are alone in it and then when you're introduced to a place where there are maybe even five of you who have similar experiences it gives you a sense of relief okay so I'm not alone in this there are others who are going through this and you can learn from that you know, okay, I didn't know this person shared that this is what they do to, you know, cope and maybe I can try it. So it's a, a place where you not only share your experiences, but you you share things that the other people can learn from. Right. Okay. So there is a harmonious entity to it where you have a lot of yes. other people that you can rely on. Um, great. That That is wonderful to know. Um, in terms of group therapy, again, I just want to add, because I've had questions about this in terms of family therapy. Does that help, mm-hmm. especially with the LGBTQ community? Because this is a very integral part to their identity. This is their identity yeah. we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So is it fair to say that family therapy is also helpful in this? It can be it immensely best? helpful. It can oh, be okay. immensely helpful. See, you need to understand like... Um, whether it's you or me, we have our support systems, right? And our family is one of our support systems. And uh, living in a country, in a culture where uh, LGBTIQ community is marginalized, knowing that you can rely on the people that are close to you is important. Mm -hmm. And family therapy, like I said before, it helps both. One is it helps a person who is identifying who comes out. And it also helps the family understand uh, get an understanding of okay this is what's going on this is what you can do a healthy approach so because I have had families come in or at least you know a parent come in with somebody who identifies uh, with their child so I have both of them with me and I, I mediate a conversation of the let's say the parent being you know not understanding what's going on and getting frustrated and then explaining to the parent okay this is what and this is what you can do and then also the child being, you know, mad at the parent and things like that. So then you mediate a conversation. So it's like sometimes both of them want to help each other, but they don't know how. So family therapy can be immensely helpful in that aspect of creating that well-rounded approach and also helping both parties. 
So I think family therapy generally is helpful, but also since you mentioned for the LGBTIQ community, it's immensely helpful because of the difficulty of being accepted outside. At least you know within your family circle that you have that support that you need. Right, it's all about support systems. And so uh, let's move on to the discussion on psychosocial groups. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's a nuanced concept in terms of it's new. And I don't think especially Sri Lanka with, with its relationship to mental health, that we truly understand what it is. So if you, if you could, if you could tell us a little bit about psychosocial support. Um, so um, psychosocial support is, as a human being, we have our basic needs that, you know, when it comes to our physical and emotional. Um, so it is, um, how do you say, having support from people and our environment in order to exist. So um, being provided by the environment, which could be your family, your economic status, your friends, family, them, they're the contributors to your life, right? So having them be supportive and help you in those needs is what psychosocial support is. And also it gives you the ability uh, to deal with life and also to prevent yourself from developing mental health issues when you have a well-rounded support system so then that kind of psychosocial support helps if that makes sense uh, Menasha. yes so it's about creating a support system for anyone because even if you are introvert you need people and i think yeah uh, the covid pandemic was the best example that everyone realized that we need emotional support for survival. We need yeah. mental health uh, facilities for survival. And so can we, can we um, talk a little bit about how COVID may have affected the LGBTQ community and how um, in terms of psychosocial support and how creating these programs can actually help in removing, um, not just removing, but helping with uh, coping mechanisms and building coping mechanisms, especially because of the COVID pandemic and the isolation thereof. Yes. Yeah. So, well, I think when the COVID pandemic hit, uh, we were all put into a place that we were not prepared for in any kind of way, regardless of who you were, you, me, everybody. And uh, as time went by, we understood for marginalized communities, it was far worse because at least some of the coping mechanisms you had was getting out of the environment, going out, reaching out for help. But because of the pandemic, like you said, you're isolated, you're stuck in this environment that is not helpful. Um, so that can cause an immense amount of distress. That's where when people reached out to us uh, from the community, what we did was mostly helping them come up with coping mechanisms within their environment. Because sometimes you feel so distressed that you feel like, okay, I'm stuck at home. My parents don't accept me. I can't go out anywhere. What do I do? So then we talk about, okay, tell me what your environment is like. And uh, tell me what you do during the day. So coming up with simple coping mechanisms during that time was helpful for a lot of people. Like whether it is, you know, going, going for a walk in your own garden or reaching out to a friend over the phone. Because at once when that hit, because see what happens is there's a huge routine change when pandemic hit, right? And so for people, let's say, uh, uh, who identified from the community who were finding it difficult, at least they had certain coping mechanisms where they could remove themselves from that environment that is causing them that distress. 
but because of the pandemic they couldn't so it does not mean that because you can't is just that at that moment you think you're stuck i can't get out what do i do so then reaching out for help can be a simple conversation alone just talking to a hotline or talking to a therapist and saying look i'm feeling this being stuck here this is what that alone is part one of helping and then comes okay let's talk about what you can do because sometimes a lot of people because they're so uh, how to say their mind is narrowed by what they experience that they can't think beyond as to what they can do for themselves that's where an external person can come and help okay so tell me what your environment is like let's see what you can do have you tried this tell me what you have tried and help them cope during that situation until they can get back to a routine where it's healthy for them so i think that's uh, what helped a lot of people during the pandemic uh, who identified from the uh, community who reached out to us right so it was mostly about use using a harmful and negative environment to their benefit and creating mechanisms that they could actually cope with the situation yeah. at hand and uh, that makes actually a lot of sense i think i will use that when i'm feeling <laughs> a little bit down as well um in terms of so going back to psychosocial support um the point as you said was to build support systems and i want to understand in terms of how this support can help people who have had very traumatic experiences now um as unfortunate as it is the queer individual faces a lot of trauma especially mm. in sri lankan society it's it's traumatic yes. for them to live which is extremely mm. sad but that is the circumstances it is so mm. how can psychosocial support help in individuals to not only acknowledge trauma that they've gone through which i'm pretty sure a lot of people don't know that they have gone through trauma mm. um and how can they accept it and move on and also you know live with this um in a positive way so um that i think depends on the individual's environment um attending to their emotional and you know uh, you know other needs in terms of um let's say if a person has of course like you said they have they go through a lot of trauma and um it could be at uh, in a public space it could be out at work it could be at home right so finding people and resources that they can depend on to help them get through it one is yes of course speaking to a, a therapist can help because it gives you a safe space where you can be open it could be um you know reaching out to organizations also that help people who identify from the community that can be a resource that they can use reaching out to people who um they know are on their side so it's coming up with okay what options do i have i've been through this and i need to you know be okay so then you kind of um you weigh your options as to okay if my family is not supportive who else do i have i can turn to is it a friend or somebody else who's not a, a direct family member i can reach out to is it an organization it's, it is it so it's about figuring out whom you can reach out to so for people who identify from the community with the trauma that they have faced they can always uh, seek help and also get that support as i mentioned from people that they know they can rely on mm-hmm. even if you have yeah. one person in your life uh, you know whom you can turn to that alone is gives you strength at that time so i think even if it's littlest things you can and if it is getting out and finding a job elsewhere 
your economic status also matters, right? So even if it is, um, you know, if, if it's moving out of your place and finding, so it's it's about steps you can take in order to make your life better, knowing that you are not stuck where you are. Yes, identifying from the community is uh, not easy in our country and in our culture, but that does not mean that you can't do it and that you don't have the right to. Once you do, you can uh, access help, but know that there is help nonetheless. So again, you are not stuck where you are. You can reach out and get help. Thank you so much, Arte, for that. Um, now I want to talk about uh, the question of, you know, even if you do identify as queer, that is part of your identity. Mm. But we, we are coming from a situation where that is all you're recognized as. If you're, if you're queer, okay, you're queer. That is mm. your identity. You can't move on from that. Mm. So how can therapy, psychosocial support, family therapy, group therapy, whatever mm. help that you're getting help in you acknowledging that this is my identity, but it's not my entire identity. I can be queer and a doctor. I can be queer and a lawyer. I yeah, can be yeah. queer and... And be anything. Um, and be anything yeah. at all. Um, so how can we use the therapy that we're getting and help in this um, to move on from this aspect of our identity to be something much more than that? So I think here, self-stigma plays a huge role as to how you feel. So it's just as, just as much as you may identify if there's self-stigma towards, you know, I mean, of course, towards yourself, it's that is going to be difficult because social stigma is there anyway. So it doesn't help that there's two layers of stigma, what people think about you and what you think about yourself. So as you say, if you are an individual that identifies from the community and you believe that you have the right to be who you are, then it makes no difference whom you reach out to or what you want to do with your life. Whether you want, like you said, you want to become a doctor or an artist or whoever it is, that depends a lot on um, how you think about yourself. So that's when people, uh, let's say they come in for therapy, through therapy, they are able to understand and figure out ways as to, okay, I'm gay, but that does not mean that that has to define everything else that I do. If I'm gay and I want to become a doctor, uh, my sexual orientation has nothing to do with it. It's about what I want to do. So also knowing to break away from that, like I said, the self-stigma plays a huge role there. So regardless of who you identify as from the community, what you want to do with your life is your choice. And therapy and family support can enforce that. Letting you know, okay, this is how you feel. It's okay. Let's talk about it. This is what you can do. And um, your family can be supportive in terms of it doesn't matter. So that's where the support, you know, comes into play of making you understand that it's okay for you to be who you are and it's okay for you to want to do whatever it is you want with your life. So support system in that case also matters a lot and also how you think about yourself. Does that make uh, sense, Minasha? Yes, Ms. Adel, thank you so much. Um, so... I would like to, uh, before we conclude, unfortunately, I would like to continue this conversation, but before we conclude, um, I want to talk about um, an initiative that has been taken place by Shanti Margam and Yellow.org uh, in terms of psychosocial support groups uh, for the queer community here um, and how important it is to uh, help these individuals um, uh, through group uh, support. 
Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, first off, I think what Yellow Dot is doing is fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm, I was so happy when I received the email, uh, you know, in order to find out that this is what you all are doing and this is what you want to partner with us for. Uh, because yes, just as much as uh, Shanti Margam does so much for the community and to everyone else, um, it also takes in, you know, a lot of manpower and effort to have something um, so focused to work on right now because there are so many areas that we work with. So to find an organization or, you know, that, I mean, a group like Yellow Dot Reach Out that wants to create something like this, I it, it, it's a wonderful idea. I think it's a great idea to create these uh, discussions and have uh, group discussions where the community can find a safe place that they can come and talk. They can, you know, share what they're going through and know that they'll be respected, they'll be cared for, and they will be helped. So I think it's a wonderful initiative by you guys. And um, looking forward to seeing, you know, this coming to being more. I know it's in the stages of planning and things like that, but I think it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. And I'm so looking forward to seeing how this turns up. And also, I hope people listening in know that this is happening. They can reach out and uh, it's okay to want to be whoever you are. And there are safe places you can come and talk to, like the project that's going to be starting by you guys and us. Yes, and we are definitely looking forward to it as well. Um, thank you so much, Ms. Adler, for coming today. Um, we are so happy to have this conversation. It's very enlightening conversation, mind you, uh, about mental health and the overarching aspect it has on our lives uh, as queer individuals. Um, and I'm so grateful that you could come and talk to us, especially despite being in different continents. Um, and we're so happy that you could... Uh, arrange all of this, uh, arrange this conversation um, uh, in terms of uh, meeting us here uh, today. Um, so thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so you for we... having me, yeah, Menasha. And, and it has been uh, a very interesting conversation. And I think more conversations like this should be had so that, you know, people can listen into and, you know, get whatever it is they feel is important from what we discuss here so yeah yes um thank you so much so before we conclude i would like as miss adler said uh, we are conducting a project on uh, project support group uh, asking for queer individuals to come and join us in 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 enlightening conversations and conversations that ensure that you are not alone in whatever struggles that you go through and we are currently in the process of uh, initiating focus groups and to anyone listening in if you are struggling with your identity or if you are um, have accepted your identity and are part of the queer community or you're trying to get into the queer community um, you're all welcome to join in on this project and uh, see it to fruition with Shanti Markham and yellow.org um, thank you everyone for listening in today uh, and have a good day